we're going to do a couple of different things. And let me, let me just quickly describe what we're going to do. Um, the, the most important thing, that, the, the biggest thing we're going to cover tonight is an introduction to the book of Ephesians. And basically, I'm going to cover kind of the background of it, kind of what's, all the book, what's it about and things like that. And, and that kind of will help you guys know how to study the book and know how to understand different things in it, okay? So that's, that's, my, that's my goal for this evening. Um, I wish everyone was here um, because this is actually probably the most important thing that they need to learn right now is, is actually the background. Because if you don't understand the background, you really are going to have an uphill battle understanding anything in the book. So, um, but that's okay. That's why I'm recording this. Um, the second thing we're going to do is we're going to look at, and I'll pass this out. I, don't, I won't pass it out just yet, but I'll pass it out in a little bit. The Bible study troubleshoot page, that, which I mentioned briefly last time, okay, which is my little flow chart that basically describes, you know, wh- what do I do if I'm like stuck and I don't understand something in the Bible? Well, this kind of helps you begin to figure that out, okay? This isn't like everything you need to know, but it just kind of gets you started. So I'm actually going to walk through this and actually use examples and, and talk about this. And I'm going to pull up some websites on here that you can even look at yourself that will help you like gain more information and help you understand what things are. So, um, so we'll go through that in just a little bit. But the first thing we're going to do is, is an introduction to Ephesians. So let me just go ahead and just jump into this and kind of describe for you guys kind of an outline of what we're going to be doing. Last time we talked about you know, how to study the Bible. We want to observe, we want to interpret, we want to apply. And hey, there's Benedict Cumberpatch. So um, that, that, that you can tell that, that I wrote his name down on the, in the game. So, um, But uh, that's, that's Sherlock there with his modern magnifying glass and he's observing. So, um, so we observe first and then we interpret and then we apply. And that's just kind of the basic pattern of how to study the Bible. So, um, and... To, like I said before, we're going to look at Ephesians, uh, intro to Ephesians, and then we're going to look at kind of how to troubleshoot. And so let me show you kind of what we're going to be going through this evening. This is kind of the outline of, if you know, more or less. We're going to look at five different questions, okay? Who wrote it? When did he write it? Where did he write it from? Where did he write it to? And why did he write it, okay? So we're going to look at five different questions. I'm going to answer all five of them for you. And... It's, it's kind of like, well, that's weird. Like, why are we going to look at all these things? These things are all extremely important. And if you're wondering, like, really, why? Why is it important? It is, okay? And I'll explain them as I go along, okay? In fact, with each question here, um, except for maybe the last one, because the last one is just kind of self, self-explanatory, I'm going to be asking this question. Why is this important? Why is this important? Because you might be, you know, thinking to yourself, you know, who wrote the book? Well, who cares? Who cares? It doesn't, does it really matter if we know who wrote it? You know, it, you know, it's, it's part of the Bible and so what? Well, there's actually, it's a big deal to know why. It's a huge deal. Uh, and all these questions are, are helpful in not just understanding the book, but actually learning how to, um, uh, to apply it to your life. All these things, all these questions are very important. So we're going to look at why this is important for each one of these questions, okay? So, um, you know, in a sense here, you can think about it this way. There's really no point in me telling you this information if you don't see the value in it. That's really bottom line. <laughs> you know, let me give you an example if you're having trouble, like, 
tracking with what I'm saying here. How many of you guys have ever flown in, in an airplane before? Good, yay. Uh, like a commercial jet, like has anyone not flown in a commercial jet, you know, where the captain comes over the intercom and you know, says stuff or whatever? Okay, good. So, well, what will happen is when you, whenever you fly commercially, they'll, the flight attendant will tell you something like, your, your seat cushion acts as a flotation device, okay? And now, if you really think about it, that piece of information is totally useless all by itself. Like, if you're sitting there in an airplane and they tell you your seat cushion acts as a flotation device, you might be like, well, who cares? There's no water around, so why should I care? Does that make sense? There's no water around, like, so, so what? But the, the problem here is um, your, the, the flight attendant needs to tell you why that's important. There's a reason why that's important. And it's not because there's like, like a swimming pool inside the, the, the airplane, right? You know, It's because it, what they'll usually say is your seat cushion acts as a flotation device in the case of a water landing or something like that, right? They have to tell you why it's important. Why is the information important? Well, it's the same thing with what we're going to be looking at here. You know, I can tell you that the book of Ephesians was written to a church in the city of Ephesus. And right now, what you're probably thinking to yourself is, that's nice to know, but why is that important? Like, do, we, do I really know why that's important? I mean, honestly, you probably don't right now. You probably don't know why it's important. And that's okay. But... That's, that's why we need to talk about this, because it is important. There is something that you need to know about it. So, so we'll talk about that, okay? Um, so I'm not giving you facts to memorize here, necessarily. I mean, it's good to know these things. But I'm giving you information here that will be helpful to you in understanding this book and learning its importance for your own personal walk with Christ and your worship of Him, okay? So this is all vital. Um, so, so we're going to ask this question, why is this important, okay? All right, so let's, let's ask the first question here. Who wrote it? Who wrote it? And you, you might already know this answer, but who wrote the book of Ephesians? Paul, right? The Apostle Paul, very good. The Apostle Paul, okay? And I'm going to have a picture. That's not the Apostle Paul, okay? Um, I'm going to have a picture with each one because I'm going to be uh, talking about some things that will help you um, understand what I'm talking about, okay? So all these pictures are going to apply in just a minute, just... Just bear with me here, okay? But the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. And if you're like, well, you know, okay, so what's the big deal about that? But, but here's, here's the thing about this. Some people, you might, you, know, you might be thinking to yourself, well, that's obvious, right? In fact, here, I'll show you how obvious this is. Go and open up your Bibles to Ephesians if you have your Bibles with you. Ephesians chapter 1. Again, the book of Ephesians is after, the, after um, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, after Acts, and then there's 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, and then Ephesians. Okay? This is how obvious it is that he wrote the book. It says the very first words right out of the, right out of the, the mouth of the author is Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. It's like, oh. He's the, he's the author, so it's great. Here's the thing about that, though. Which, here's what's really interesting. Some people still don't think that Paul wrote it. Some people don't think that actually Paul wrote it, even though it says it like right there 
that Paul wrote it. Some people think that the name Paul is a pseudonym. A pseudonym. Anyone know what a pseudonym is? What's a pseudonym, Ethan? A fake name. Yeah, exactly. Pseudo means false, so it's like a it's a false name. It's a fake name. You know, it's like it's like a like a fake identity or something like that you come up with, right? Well, some people think that whoever wrote this book, and it wasn't Paul, um, wrote down uh, the name Paul as a fake name. And if you're wondering yourself, well, why would someone do that? Uh, well, think about it, okay? Here, let me give you an example, okay? And I'll use my little picture as an illustration. Um, let's say you, got, you guys all know at least of Harry Potter, right? And you, get, you guys know who wrote Harry Potter? That's right. The name is right there. Very good. J.K. J.K. Rowling wrote the series to the Harry Potter, right? So, um, J.K. Let, let's say, for example, I decided that I wanted to write a Harry Potter book, okay? And but it wasn't Harry Potter. Uh, it was, you know, maybe I wanted to kind of disguise it and make it really sound like J.K. Rowling actually wrote it. So what I would do is I would maybe not make it Harry Potter but I make it something similar, kind of like the new movie coming out by J.K. Rowling. Um, what, what's that one called? Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them or something like that? Yeah. So something along those lines. And maybe I called it something like Wizards of Hogwarts and the Source of All Magic or something like that, okay? And like my whole premise of the book is to kind of do like a, a, like a look at all the wizards in the past, like before Harry Potter and like... I don't know, and, and talk about like where did magic come from and stuff like that. And people could get really into that. I could see that happening, okay? And then what I would do is if I really want to make this book successful is I'm not going to put my name on it. Whose name am I going to put on it? J.K. Rowling. Rowling's, right? That's, that's the thing to do. And I'm totally going to pass it off like it's her writing, but it's not. And yet somehow I still get all the money for it, okay? So... Uh, or at least, the, uh, at least I think it becomes very popular. So that, that's kind of the idea here. Some people think, hey, okay, that wasn't really Paul who wrote this. Someone pretended like they were Paul so they could make it look like he wrote it and so they, they, they could actually get all this success for something that Paul actually never even wrote in the first place. That's what some people think. Um, we run into all kinds of problems when we actually go down that road though. Um, because what you end up having to say is that this book really shouldn't be in the Bible then. Because if someone wrote it underneath and, and made it like a scam, well, how can someone who writes scripture like lie about writing scripture? Does that make sense? It doesn't make any, like it's, it's totally backwards. And it's, it, so it doesn't work and doesn't hold up. And so... Paul wrote this, and there's actually clear ways we can understand that Paul wrote this. It's his style of writing in this book. Like his, the, the same, it's the same style as all he writ, wrote all of his other letters. Um, it's the same like kinds of vocabulary, same kinds of words he uses. Um, it's his same kind of theology. His doctrine is, is it's all in there. Um, it fits his mission to get the church where it needs to be. Uh, this is totally written by Paul, totally. So people just like to overanalyze it to death and. And they just, they come at it from a really bad angle. So, um, but let's answer the very important question. So what? Why is this important? Why is this important? And 
and that's a, that's a very important question here. And so really, what we come, come down to, the reason why it's important is because Ephesians is about getting the message of salvation to all of humanity. That's why this is important. And you might be like, you know, thinking to yourself, how did we get from here to here? That doesn't make any sense. Well, let me kind of back up the train a little bit here and, and describe this, okay? Why must Paul be the person to write this and not somebody else? What's, so, what's such a big deal about Paul that he has to write this letter called Ephesians, okay? That's really what we're asking here when we're asking this question, why, okay? Why wasn't it Peter? Why wasn't it John? Why wasn't it Jesus? You know, why, why wasn't it all these other big players we find in the New Testament? Why does it have to be Paul? And so what we find here is, is, is this in particular, that what this really goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. This really goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. The, the, re- the way we can answer this question is it, we have to actually go all the way back to the beginning of creation itself. Um, you know, when, you know, let me ask you this question here for a second. When did, when did sin begin? When did sin enter into the world? What do you think? At the fall. Okay, good. Yeah, at the Garden of Eden, right? Now, who, were, who was the first person who sinned? Okay, Eve, yeah. Eve, Eve, or you could even say Adam. They're, they're kind of like right at the same time pretty much. But Adam or Eve, Adam and Eve, that's, those are both acceptable. Now, let me ask you this question, okay? What race was Adam and Eve? Human. Yeah, that's right. He, they were human. They weren't like any particular race, right? They weren't Caucasian. You know, they weren't, they weren't African-American because there wasn't a, no America back then. There was really no Africa either. Kind of, but, um, you know, they weren't Asian or anything like that. They weren't Dutch. You know, like, there weren't any of that, right? They were human. That was their race. And so, really what we find at the very beginning of creation is that sin is a human problem. It's a human problem. It's not a, it's not a problem that is restricted to one particular group of people in the world. It's a worldwide problem. It's a human problem, okay? And because sin is a human problem, what we begin to find as the Bible unfolds is that to get rid of sin is a human solution. To get rid of sin is a human solution. And that's an important concept because as the Bible kind of unfolds, God picks a chosen people, right? Who is the people that God chooses first? Israel. Very good. Yeah. The Jews, right? God chooses Israel. And what Israel begins to think over time is that, hey, we're, we're God's people. We're, we're special. And so we get to, you know, we are the only ones who are really special in God's eyes. And we're the only ones who are really going to be saved. And that's kind of the mindset they get. That's actually Jonah's mindset um, in, in, the, in the book of Jonah. You know, when you know, Jonah gets swallowed by the big fish and stuff like that and gets, you know, spit out on dry land or whatever. Well, that Jonah, the reason why Jonah, like, is, is so crazy and the, the, the story is so crazy is because Jonah absolutely refuses to go preach, uh, really, the, the, the gospel 
to, to people who are not Jews, people who are not Israelites, because he doesn't want them to be saved. He doesn't think they should be saved. And so there's, this, there's kind of this disconnect in all of Israel's mind that, well, salvation is just for us. The rest of the world's just going to die, and, and we're God's chosen people, and no one else is. That's not true. Sin was a human problem. The solution is going to be a human solution. Everyone is going to have the, the opportunity to be saved. And so here's where this connects all the way back to the Apostle Paul, okay? Here's where, we're, here's, here's where we kind of come full circle all the way back. Paul had a very unique role to, uh, in, in the days of the early church. He was the apostle to the Gentiles, the Gentiles. And if, if you don't know what Gentiles are, Gentiles are basically just non-Jews, people who are not Jews, okay? It's everyone else in the world besides Jews. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. His job was to get the message of the gospel, the message of salvation, to out to all the world, not just to Israel. That was his mission, to get it spread to the entire world. And so Paul had a very distinct miss- mission to get this message to all of humanity, not just part of it. And this is a big part of the message of Ephesians. Because what's happening right now as the church is getting started is there's a lot of Jewish Christians, but there's not a lot of Gentile Christians yet. And so Paul's job is to get more Gentile Christians, to get the whole world on board with this plan of salvation that God has. And so what he begins to do is he begins to warn the church and say, hey, this is about all of humanity being saved. This is about really God making everyone one new humanity. If sin was a human problem, the solution is a human solution. And so we need to all unite underneath this banner of Christ. We can't be divided. We can't be having Jews bickering over here against the Gentiles over here. We can't have these divisions. We must be united on the same page underneath our, our, our Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's kind of what, what Paul's mission is, and that's why this is such a big deal. Paul must write this letter because he has to get this message out, okay? So why is this important? Ephesians is all about getting the message of salvation to all of humanity. That's what the book's about. That's why Paul has to write, okay? So I know that was kind of a roundabout way of describing that, but hopefully that makes sense there, okay? Second question, second question. I like this question. When did he write it, okay? When did he write it? And it's like, what does when have to do with civil war? Well, I'll show you in just a second, okay? But he wrote it in 60, between 60 to 62 AD. So, you know, about 2,000 years ago or so, okay? 60 to 62 AD. And again, the question you might have in your mind is, well, so what? You know, like, what's the big deal about that? Why is this so important? Well, here's the thing. Paul wrote other letters besides Ephesians. You know, the Ephesians wasn't the only letter that he wrote, right? How many letters did Paul write? Do you guys know? A lot. He wrote a lot of letters. How many do we have in our Bibles here that we know that he wrote? Do you guys know? Anyone know off the top of their head? Yeah, good, yeah. Yeah, totally, yeah. 13. Some people suspect he might, might even wrote the book of Hebrews, which would be 14, but there's, there's a lot of debate over that. So we know for sure 13, okay? 13. And that's important to know, okay? Because Paul didn't write all of his letters at once. It's not like he wrote, okay, here's Ephesians, Here's Colossians, here's, you know, 1 Thessalonians, and he did it all in one day and just shipped them out. He didn't do that, okay? 
He wrote them over a period of about oh, 15 to 20 years or so. Okay, He wrote these 13 letters. He wrote other letters too, but those, these are the ones that we find in Scripture that, that are inspired by God. Okay, These are the ones that are actually uh, we, we can trust in. Okay, Now, Ephesians, it's important to know this, that he wrote over a period of time, Okay, because each letter builds on the ones that were written before it. Each one builds on the ones that were written before it, okay? And, and that's important to know because Paul isn't just like writing these out of thin air. There are concepts and ideas that he's building on with each letter and taking it kind of to a whole new level, okay? So each one's important, but each one connects back with the letters that he already wrote, okay? And let me, to, to kind of help you understand the magnitude of this and how important this concept is, let me use the example of Captain America's Civil War, okay? Now, has anyone not seen the movie? Okay, wow, everyone has not seen the movie. That's okay, because I'm not going to give away anything in the movie, okay? No spoilers are going to be happening here, okay? I just want to show you the concept. Are you guys familiar, though, with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, all the different movies that they've made so far? Okay, good. So Lisa, as long as, even, even if you haven't watched them, as long as you're familiar with this idea, then we're okay, okay? So um, this is, the, the, all these movies that have been created are called the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's, that's kind of what they've dubbed this thing, okay? Uh, because it's a, it's a massive phenomenon that's almost unparalleled um, across movie genre, okay? And, and here's kind of the deal of how this works. Marvel made this plan years ago, like almost like 10 to 15 years ago, to put out not just one movie, but a series of movies. And not just a series of movies, but multiple phases of series of movies, okay? They have like, uh, right now they're on phase three. They had phase, phase one, which had six movies, phase two, which had six movies, and phase three, just started with Captain America Civil War, okay? So they have multiple phases of all these movies. And let me just kind of walk you through what I'm talking about so you understand what's going on, okay? Phase one started in 2008, okay? We had Iron Man, The Incredible Hulk, and then Iron Man 2 in 2010, okay? So they had all these movies. And now, if you think about it, again, each movie begins to kind of build on the ones that are before them, right? Like especially Iron Man 2, you have to kind of watch Iron Man 1 to kind of understand what's going on in Iron Man 2, right? It kind of makes sense. Incredible Hulk, maybe not so much, but there might be some ties there, so you might want to watch the movie before it. But uh, all these movies, by the way, are in order when they were released, okay? So still in phase one. Then we have Thor in 2011, Captain America, the first Avenger in 2011. And then finally, phase one capped off with the Avengers when they brought kind of all of the major heroes together, Thor, Iron Man, Captain America together in the Avengers, and added in a couple of other characters like Hawkeye and Black Widow, and or in the Hulk too, he was earlier too. But um, So that's kind of how they did that, right? Especially this movie, you might wanna watch all the movies that came before it to understand what's going on in this movie, right? And that's, that's kind of what's going on. That was phase one. Phase two, we have Iron Man 3, Thor the Dark World, Captain America Winter Soldier, so just kind of continuing the series. The first phase one kind of launched it. Phase two is kind of continuing it, developing some different storylines and things like that. Then we have Guardians of the Galaxy, which we had in our game. 
Avengers Age of Ultron kind of brought everything together again, and then Ant-Man kind of finalized phase two, okay? So that's kind of what happened. Now phase three just got going right now with Captain America Civil War. What they have in the works is Guardians of the Galaxy in 2017 and Black Panther. And they've got a ton of other ones like Avengers Infinity Wars coming down the pike and all that kind of stuff, okay? Are you guys familiar with what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay, good, very good. So I know that's kind of a lot to kind of, to kind of go through here, but you have to think about the way Paul wrote his letters exactly that way, because that's kind of exactly how Paul did it. Paul did this, okay? Here's how. Here's Paul's epistolary universe, okay? This is like this is the PU. This isn't the MCU, okay? This is Paul's epistolary universe. Epistolary is just, you know, epistle is just a letter. A letter. So this is his handwritten letters, okay? Phase one was First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians, okay? In like AD 51 and 52, okay? These basically talked about big picture, what is the church like? What's the church all about? Those two epistles, those two letters were talking about, here's what the church is all about. When you want to start the church, uh, the whole church age, you want to make sure we have a big kind of picture idea of what the church is about, right? That's what, the, that's what Paul does. He writes two letters about what the church is all about, okay? So that's phase one. Phase two uh, he writes Romans, Galatians, and First and Second Corinthians, okay? And it's around 55, 56 AD. So a couple years later, about four years later, he writes these four letters pretty close together. These are all written close together because what Paul wants to do is move the church forward a little bit. Now that we have a foundation of what the church is kind of doing, let's actually talk about what's the church's core doctrine? What's the teaching that they must hold to? and that they can't compromise on. So Romans talks about the gospel. Galatians talks about the gospel, especially in relationship to heresies that are trying to sneak into the church. First and second Corinthians talk about some big picture issues that kind of tie together with the gospel and things like that. So all these things are talking about what are the core issues that we need to be uh, believing as believers, okay? So that's phase two. Phase three, he writes Ephesians to kind of launch things and then Colossians, Philemon, and Philippians. This is when Paul gets thrown in prison, and he writes these letters all in prison. And what he's talking about here is, how is, how is the church supposed to live out all of this teaching? How are they supposed to live out? What's the practice of, of the church? Ephesians begin, basically launches that new phase, okay? Just like Civil War launched phase three. And it talks about like a whole new kind of almost subject matter uh, that phase three is kind of going to get into and stuff like that, okay? So introduce a lot of new characters and all that. So that's what Paul's doing with Ephesians. It's launching a whole new phase. It's a whole new phase. And it's an important phase. It's kind of taking everything that's happened and it's moving the ball down the court a little bit. It's, it's taking it to a whole new level. So really, here's the thing. In order to know the book of Ephesians, really you need to know First and Second Thessalonians, Romans, Galatians, and 1st and 2nd Corinthians to really have a good understanding of what Ephesians is all about. So now it's like, that's not like our, our study that we're going to be going through necessarily, but, but that's kind of, you have to understand, Paul is building off all of those letters uh, when he gets to Ephesians here, okay? So, um, so this is really the beginning of a new era here. And, um, and here, let me kind of describe for you a little bit what exactly is it that Ephesians is talking about? What is, what is it contributing that the other letters are, haven't contributed thus far? Where is it taking everything? 
okay? Um, Ephesians really defines for us the actions of the church based on their core doctrines and teachings. What is a church supposed to be doing? And, and really, it gives you kind of a big picture of what this looks like. The other letters like Colossians, Philemon, and Philippians, those other four letters in phase three here, those are more specific. They're targeting more specific issues. Ephesians is kind of the front runner because it's bringing it all together into one big package and saying, this is how you need to live life in the church. This is how you need to live life in the church. Ephesians chapter five is a real big common passage that we know in, in Christian circles that talks about marriage. Talks about marriage. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know, wives submit to your husbands, things like that. Well, what is that? That's the church putting into practice the doctrine uh, that, that it's supposed to believe. In other words, it believes that Christ loves the church, that Christ died for the church, gave himself up for the church. How is the church supposed to respond living that out and communicating that in their actions? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands um, in the same way that the church submits to Christ. You see how that works there? The Ephesians is telling us, here's how we actually begin to live out what, we've, what we learn in our doctrine, okay? So this is important. So we know that because of when this was written. This is all goes back to, oh, and sorry, this is phase four, 1 Timothy, 2, Titus, and 2 Timothy, but that's later. We're, we don't need to go there just yet. This all goes back to this was written in 60 to 62 AD. We need to know that because we need to know what other letters were written before it so we can understand kind of where this sits in, in Paul's line of thinking, okay? So if we could sum this up, why is this important? I would say Ephesians is about taking Paul's global mission to a whole new level. It's about taking it to a whole new level. And I kind of described for you exactly how that was, okay? So let's move on. Where did he write it from? He wrote it from Rome, in prison, okay? He wrote it from Rome, and he was in prison during this time, okay? Um, Paul gets thrown in prison at the very end of the book of Acts, and he kind of stays there, and the book just kind of ends with him in prison, which makes it sound really bad. Like, don't you want to, like, end it, like, when he's out of prison and stuff like that? But it, it kind of stops while he's in prison because it's showing that he needs to be in Rome because Rome is an important place, okay? Um, and the book of Ephesians was written while Paul was in prison in Rome during that time, okay? And uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 even tells us, uh, says Paul calls himself the prisoner. I'm, I'm a prisoner in the Lord, prisoner in the Lord. And, and in verse I'm sorry, in chapter 6, verse 20, he talks about how he is in chains. He is, he's actually bound up in prison, okay? And, and that's important, okay? This is very important that he is actually in prison in Rome. This looks like failure. It looks like Paul failed his mission, right? I mean, if people throw you in prison and lock you up, you can't really do anything, right? You're kind of stuck. Like, how can you actually go and and visit all the churches and preach the gospel and and get the word out about the gospel to all the nations if you're stuck in one place right you can't do it it's impossible or is it 
You see, Paul actually thought, this is the best place to be. I need to be here right now. And here's why he thought that. The Roman Empire during this time ruled most of the known world, okay? Um, Rome just dominated everything, like just almost every single nation in the world. Not quite every nation, but almost every nation. And the Roman Empire, you guys know what the capital of, of the Roman Empire was? Rome, yeah, good, it was Rome. That's where Paul is in prison, okay? There's a common phrase that they all used to use back then, and we know it today, that says, all roads lead to Rome. All roads lead to Rome, okay? What that means is that basically everything in the world, you could, um, every, oh, sorry, Rome was a central hub for everything in the world. All, everyone kind of went to Rome, and, and everyone in Rome was able to kind of go out to all the other places in the world, okay? It was kind of the central hub. So, um, and this was a big deal because with Rome, you could, you could impact a lot of people across the entire world by having just an influence in that one city. Um, if you want kind of a, a goofy illustration, let's say, for example, you want to sell cookies to earn money for camp or something like that, okay? So you make these homemade cookies and you're trying to sell them at school and stuff like that. And you want everyone in the school to have to buy a cookie so you go to camp, okay? Now, you could make an announcement in one of your classes. I have cookies, and they're, you know, $20 each or something like that because you just really want a lot of money. So, and, uh, and it, you know, how many people are you going to impact by talking to that one class? You know, the class. Yeah, the class. Maybe like 20, 30 people, right, if, you, if it's a good-sized class. You know, not that many, but you're going to impact some people. But you're not going to reach the entire school. You're not. You're stuck in that one class. But let's say, for example, you get permission to send out an announcement over the school intercom. Now how many people are you going to reach? The, that's right, the whole school, right? You're going to reach everyone. That's what this guy's doing right here, right? He's got his big megaphone, right? So if you, if you can get the message out on the intercom, you impact everybody. If you can get the message of the gospel to Rome, you can reach the entire world because all roads lead to Rome and all roads go from Rome. There's so much traffic that's going in and out of there that the whole world is going to hear the message of the gospel. Paul says, I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad I'm stuck here because the message is going to go forth. That was Paul's goal. He wanted to get to Rome, and he did. He finally got there. So, um, so Paul, what Paul does here... This is really cool. If you have your Bibles, turn to chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verse 18. Paul talks about, well, in verse 18, that he's, um, that, that, that the Ephesians should be praying uh, with all prayer and supplication uh, at every time in the Spirit. And, and they should be really, in a sense, losing sleep over this uh, with diligence and supplication on behalf of all the saints. But then in verse 19, he says something interesting, okay? He says, don't just pray for every believer in the world and stuff like that. You should. You should be praying for everyone you know. But he says, pray for me. Pray for me. Verse 19, he says, pray for me so that the wor a word may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, so that I may make known the mystery of the gospel with confidence. 
Paul says, pray that I will have a word from the Lord with great confidence so I can speak to people while I'm, at, while I'm in prison in Rome. And so what Paul says here is, he's like, listen, I know I'm in Rome right now. I know I'm stuck here. And I even know that that's actually a good thing because I can get the message of the gospel to everybody. But he says, Ephesians, the people in Ephesus, you need to be people who are praying for me because your ministry, your church, links with my ministry even in Rome. You, have an, you actually can contribute to what I'm doing even through your prayers. And so what Paul does is he links his ministry with the uh, Ephesian church ministry, and he says they're one and the same, and they impact each other. So this is, so basically, really the, the whole big deal about this is the church at Ephesus plays a big role in accomplishing Paul's mission to get the gospel out to all of humanity. That's what it is. And so Rome is really the gateway to the rest of the world, and the Ephesian church can be a help in that. So to sum up, why is this important? Ephesians is about the church connecting with the worldwide mission of reaching all of humanity. Okay? So we understand that from based on where Paul was writing this from. Okay? So it's, it's not just important where Paul wrote it to. It's important where Paul wrote it from too. Okay? But let's look at where did he write it to. Because that's important as well. And this was a church in the city of Ephesus. LAX is not Ephesus, but we'll talk about that in just a second here, okay? But Ephesus was also an important city. It wasn't just Rome. Ephesus was also an important city. Anyone who's anyone who needs to get to Rome from one part of the, the Roman Empire to the other part had to go through the city of Ephesus. The city of Ephesus was one of the greatest port cities where there was all kinds of traffic to get to Rome, okay? So it was kind of the central hub of all the traffic for the city of Rome, okay? So it's kind of like the second best city, okay, in a sense. Um, and I like to think of it like the city of L.A. I really think it's a lot like the city of L.A. Um, Ephesus was on the coast, just like L.A. is on the coast. And, you know, today it's planes flying in to LAX, you know, from not just from America, but from all over the world, right? It's an international airport. You know, you, come, you got people from coming from Asia, from Australia, you know, even parts of Europe and stuff like that. There's, it's, it's this major hub of international travel, right? Well, Ephesus was a major city of international travel. Everyone had to go through it. And they weren't flying. They were all on boats, okay? They were all traveling on boats, and they were going into Ephesus and all this kind of stuff. So, but it was big. So what happens is, in this city, what you get is it looks a lot like L.A. It's kind of a melting pot of all kinds of different cultures. You know, in L.A., we have, you know, a huge uh, Hispanic population. There's a, there's a huge, like, different Asian populations, like uh, a lot of Koreans. Uh, there's a lot of Filipinos. In fact, I went to a Dodger game last night, and they actually had a Filipino night that's coming up for a Dodger game. I'm like, a Filipino night? Like that, that must, there must be a lot of Filipinos in LA if they're going to be able to pull something like this off, right? So this is a lot of different cultures in LA. Well, in Ephesus, it was the same thing. There was a lot of different cultures. And because there's a lot of different cultures, a lot of different traffic and people moving through, there's a lot of different ideas that were being passed around, philosophies, religious ideas, um, a lot of idols, a lot of temples people were worshiping and stuff like that. And 
it was just a big area uh, of influence. People were influenced by the city of Ephesus. It was kind of leading the pack. It was kind of on the cutting edge of anything that was that was going on in the world at the time. You know, kind of like Hollywood's kind of on the cutting edge of everything. You know, if, if Hollywood says, you know, this is cool, then guess what? It's cool. So that's kind of the way it works. Well, that's the way Ephesus was. If it's cool, then it's cool. So Paul said, I want to claim that city for Christ. Because if I can get that city for Christ, guess what? I can influence everybody, right? I can influence everybody because everyone's going through there, right? And they're all like, if they, if, if they can get Ephesus to think Christ is, is great, then the whole world's going to think Christ is great, okay? That's kind of the, the logic here, right? So, so Ephesus was the gateway to Rome, which is the absolute center of everything. And so if you win Ephesus, you win Rome. And if you win Rome, you win the world. Therefore, if you win Ephesus, you win the world. That's kind of the logic, okay? So to sum it up, why is this important? Ephesians is about influencing our culture for Christ, okay? It's about influencing our culture for Christ. Last but not least, let's put it all together. Um, why did he write this? Why did he write this book? Bottom line, why did he write this? Paul actually doesn't come right out and say exactly why he writes this letter. Usually he does. But in this particular letter of Ephesians, he doesn't really say. However, we can put all these pieces together and we can figure out why he wrote this. It's actually not that difficult. And the answer, I think, is very simply this. Ephesians shows how the church can take the gospel to the next level by winning all of humanity. Okay? And, and I don't mean that every person in the world is going to get saved because of this. What I mean by this is that the gospel is able to reach every single human being. That's, that, that's the goal here. There's, um, you know, there's no barrier like race or gender or age um, that's going to prevent you from being saved. Ephesians is all about that. It's all about saying, let's break down the dividing wall, the barrier that prevents anyone from, from coming into the church and being welcomed as a son or a daughter of God. Um, the whole book of Ephesians says, no, 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 the church is one new humanity. And let's look at how we can live together as this new humanity. So Ephesians shows really how the church can be a vehicle that delivers that type of message and, and makes that kind of an impact, okay? So this is a big book. It's an important book. It's a foundational book in the Bible. And that's why I think I said last time, it's kind of a, it's a bigger hitter than some of the other books in the Bible because it begins to pull together a lot of things that were once not really pulled together. So it's a big deal. So that's kind of gives you a background of the book of Ephesians. These are important things that you need to know before we jump into studying it so that you kind of know what direction this is going, okay? It'll make your job a lot easier. So I hope this kind of gives you a little bit of the legwork up front you don't have to go and study all this you know, now necessarily. Um, I kind of did that on your behalf. So um, it hopefully it kind of gives you a little bit of foundation to start to work from um, as, you, as you plan to study this yourself, okay?